In July of 2014, after a competitive process, which the city blew everybody away, we actually moved to a 10 gig network. So we tenfold increased our bandwidth and saved $100,000 in one fell swoop. Good day and welcome to episode 186 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Educators are finding exciting new ways to teach our children. This is great news for kids who have the opportunity to experience exciting new technologies that inspire their learning process. On the flip side, many of these new approaches require fast, affordable, reliable connectivity that schools just don't have or struggle to afford. In this podcast, Chris talks with Joe McBreen, Chief Technology Officer for the St. Vrain Valley School District in Longmont, Colorado. After years of working with incumbents, the school district found a way to obtain better service for less by collaborating with the city of Longmont. Here are Chris and Joe talking about the process and how life has changed at the St. Vrain Valley School District. Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Joe McBreen, the Chief Technology Officer for the St. Vrain Valley School District. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Glad to be here. So I first came into contact with you, I think, in, when we were looking at what was happening in Longmont, which is a uh, part of your territory. Uh, where else does St. Vrain Valley go? Yeah, we, we are located approximately 30 miles north of the Denver metro area between the towns of Boulder and Fort Collins. And we, our school district uh, not only includes Longmont, Colorado, but also Lyons, Niwot, Mead, Frederick. Uh, basically, we, we have approximately, well, exactly 411 square miles that our district serves. So it's a pretty big district. Um, have a lot of country, have a lot of city. So we're a, we're a pretty good reflection of Americana, if you ask folks around here. Right. Well, the I, Longmont itself is bigger than I think a lot of people realize at about 80,000 people. So that's definitely quite urban to uh, some of those areas are pretty rural out there in Colorado. We, we have that. We have a really good variety of uh, economic and socioeconomic diversity, racial diversity, if you will. And so, yeah, I'm really pleased to live and work in this community. Well, you and I had talked a few years back uh, in something that uh, we didn't um, do a whole lot of publicity around, but it was when we were trying to get a better sense of how schools work with the E-rate and how networks work and what the pressures you face are. Uh, and I, I had a great time talking with you, and I wanted to bring you back on to talk a little bit about um, you know, those questions, basically. Uh, I think the first thing I'd like to ask you is, you know, we often talk about how the schools need more connectivity and uh, schools that don't have enough connectivity, but I thought a good place to start is asking, uh, why do schools need so much more bandwidth than many of them have? Really, it comes down to the, f the fact that education is changing radically from the, time, from the way adults learned. Uh, let, me, let me give you a few examples. We grew up with paper textbooks, and historically, the way school districts typically have textbooks is they get new textbooks every seven years. Well, except five to seven years, depending on the district and the subject area. But the reality is nowadays, curriculums, textbooks are moving to a digital delivery system. And so that's a, that's a, that right there is a big need for uh, more bandwidth is the curriculum's digital. And besides that, I don't know if you've watched any students in the K-12 through space 
um, navigate their world, whether they're on an iPad or a Chromebook or a laptop or whatnot, but the content that they consume or demand, if you will, need is video-based. It's not the text-based internet of the 90s that so many of us think about when we think about internet usage. It's very video-heavy, very multimedia-rich, if you will. So learning itself is changing. One of the things that I found interesting was sort of, if you think about that, I think some people might say, wow, I learned just fine on paper textbooks. And one of the things that someone showed me was how much easier it was to learn about the human circulatory system. If you could be looking at 3D models, if you could be, you know, like being able to zoom in and zoom out, if you could actually see the heart beating, uh, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's beyond remarkable. It just makes a lot of sense for my uh from a brain science perspective. I mean, the reality is, is every human learns a little differently and uses different modalities, if you will, to learn. Uh, some are visual, some are auditory. Really, what technology does is that it enhances the learning experience so that you know different learners' needs can be met, and it's just getting better and better. Um, here's another example of the need for more bandwidth, more digital materials, and that's library books. Our district over the last several years has been consciously moving away from the model where it was 99% uh, paper or pulp books in the library, maybe 1% digital. That's flip-flopped on its head where um, approximately 90% of our books are available online and only 20% are available in paper format like as a rule of thumb. Teachers back in the day and actually in many parts of America today we're required to print a ton of paper uh, for worksheets, for tests, for things like that, all digital now. So there's huge savings to be made, but there's also the bandwidth that goes along with that. One of the things that I found interesting and something that, that you had recently noted in an email um, was summed up in a different conversation I had with a, a different school CTO, actually. And he said, anytime there is a disciplinary problem or a question, the question the parents ask or that the supervisors ask is, show me the video. Where's the video? And one of the things you note is there's a tremendous demand for bandwidth for video in schools uh, just for monitoring hallway activity and things like that. Trust me, my, my wife is an assistant principal at one of the local high schools, and um, she could speak to this subject at length, but video is a reality in most schools nowadays. They want video surveillance inside, they want video surveillance outside, and that's normal operating. But what happens if there's a crisis situation, a, uh, a lockout or a lockdown or a, an active shooter situation? What an opportunity having ample bandwidth and IP security cameras in place offers our first responders, our SWAT teams and whatnot, if they can get live views inside and outside of the facility. One of the things that I had pointed out to you and was the uh, the wonderful demonstration. Wonderful is an interesting word, I guess, but the the stunning, powerful demonstration that Ammon Idaho has gone through with um, how they manage theirs um, on their fiber. Um, and one of the things that, that I think sets them apart is that they have this dedicated fiber to each location. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is how you moved from um, a network in which you had a bunch of facilities that were all sharing a fiber connection um, to one where they each have dedicated fiber, I think. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the network that you just moved away from? Our stories probably very typical of many schools and uh, community businesses, if you will, where 
you know, it wasn't too many years ago when we had T1 lines or, you know, multiple T1 lines feeding a building. And then back in 2009, we moved to uh, a one gig fiber connection to our schools. Now, we, we're very interesting, Chris, because we have both point-to-point fiber and fiber rings. The city of Longmont itself, many years ago, we're talking like back in the late 90s, there was a company called Yipes. But Yipes had a really great vision to lay fiber in towns. And luckily, I, Longmont was one of the two or three that I understand they actually started with. And unfortunately, that company went out of business very quickly, but not before they had a bunch of dark fiber laying in the trenches all over town in two physical rings. And so the city of Longmont assumed those assets. Long story short, the voters approved using those assets to deliver uh, broadband services to uh, you know the community. And of course, the school district is part of the community, as is the hospital. And so our, I'm very proud of our city broadband folks, the way they went about their job. They're, what happened to our school district in the town of Longmont? So we have uh, 32 schools in the town of Longmont, and they are on the ring. Uh, like I said before, there are two physical rings, but we'll just say the ring, uh, the city ring. And a year and a half ago, or gosh, maybe two years ago is a better way to say it, we were with a different uh, vendor, and we were we were subscribed to a one gigabit per second um, shared ring. And in July of 2014, after a competitive process, which the city blew everybody away, we actually moved to a 10 gig network. So we tenfold increased our bandwidth and saved $100,000 in one fell swoop. Is that $100,000 a year or is that over the life of the contract? Per year. Wow huge savings for us. Nobody can argue with those economics. It's beyond wonderful. So that describes our in-town infrastructure, 10 gig uh, fiber ring. But then we have, I I think I opened up the, the show with saying that we're dispersed across 411 square miles. Well, obviously those outlying towns aren't going to be connected to the ring. So we actually have point to point fibers going out to them that we are currently in the process of upgrading from one gig to 10 gig. And if I remember correctly, I think um, those were ones that you had uh, worked with. Uh, There's some private companies that specialize in basically uh, building those and leasing them and that sort of thing. So you've gone with them rather than one of the local larger companies. Is that right? Yeah, that was done back in July of 2009, and it's a 10-year lease. That's where we are with those outlying schools. And, but, you know, I guess to summarize it, at the end of the day, all of our schools will have a 10 gig connection here very shortly, which, you know, is appropriate and necessary nowadays. And so one of the things that that we talked about that I've, you know, there's some things that I find surprising and then there's some things that basically knock my socks off. And I did not anticipate this, but when we talked, I was asking you about the difference of running your own network as a school district versus leasing lines. And I was trying to get a sense of how much more, um, uh, personnel, what the extra cost might be for you in running your own network rather than uh, leasing lines from, say, like a the big telephone company. And you told me that it was actually cheaper from a personnel standpoint, you thought, because when you're running your own network, 
that when something goes wrong, you can figure out what it is more quickly rather than having people waiting on hold and waiting for other people to get back to you as to what's happening on their network. Yeah, it's the uh, – you hit it on the head. The point-to-point gigabit connections to our outlying schools cost us approximately right at $800,000 per year to lease. Well, we will have done that for 10 years. You do the math. That's that's a big investment. Are you following so far? Yes. Okay, so that's the outlying schools that we're leasing through that provider. And this is, I mean, just to be clear, we're not actually we're not suggesting this is a bad deal. This is a pretty run of the mill deal. It's a you're getting good capacity connections, and you know it was a pretty good deal when it was struck. Um, this is not one of those instances. I mean, there's what I guess what I want to say is that a lot of schools are in a much worse position where they would be envious of that contract. Even yeah, they would. You, that's a fair point. But anyway, that's that's sort of your worst case scenario right now. Yeah. And then so there's that. So for all of those outlying schools, approximately $800,000 every year. And at the end of that, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're leasing it. We don't technically own anything. So we'll have to re-up the lease. And, you know, we expect and they've committed verbally to radically lowering the price per year from 800000 to something more reasonable. Uh, that said, contrast that with our... 10 gig rings here that all of the in-city schools are using. And that's right at $150,000 per year. Anybody can do the math like, wow, radical difference. And one of the things that you were looking at is whether you could do it at a lower cost just within the school district rather than leasing from the city. And I think um, if I remember correctly, you would have been able to do it at a lower cost than you're paying for those outlying districts. But because Longmont had that, it's sort of the benefit of the scale and operating across the entire city, they were able to offer you an even better deal. Let's pretend that our city was not one of the, wasn't the winner, and we had to go with the second or third place competitor for our 10 gig WAN. We could have easily beaten what they proposed by going with dark fiber, fiber, buying our own electronics and hiring a full-time technician devoted to that. I mean, it's not even close. And what does that mean when you say, I'm just, I'm, I think people, when you say buying your own electronics, I think you might lose people, but is that very intimidating? I mean, is that something you, you go to, um, you know, newegg.com and, and buy them <laughs> off the shelf? I mean, how does that work? I, I, w- I would go with your local vendor. And, you know, we're, we are a Cisco shop, but it doesn't matter who your network infrastructure vendor is. They will gladly tell you what, what little electronic piece you need to buy to plug into your switch so that you can connect that piece of fiber that was previously dark but now all of a sudden has light running through it. A question that I wrestle with is how, you know, a CTO or a CIO in a school district that hasn't done this before, should they be intimidated by the process? Oh, gosh, absolutely not. You know, one of the things that, that I've been blessed with is I'm not afraid to ask, quote, ignorant questions, right? I, I don't care. I, I, I need to know. And I would just encourage that of anybody who might get that lump in their throat like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to look stupid or, oh, gosh, this is intimidating. You know, vendors are there to really do a good job. Ask them as many questions as you need until, you know, you're satisfied. But it should not be intimidating. Back in the early 2000s, I I worked as a technical trainer for a broadband equipment company. Uh, doing everything from advanced training to my favorite classes were actually the 
basic fiber and basic T1 courses and things like that because people like CTOs and you know whatnot would come in and say, I'm working in this broadband space. Can you teach me this lingo? And inevitably, after about four or five hours of study, they go, oh my God, this stuff is so easy. I don't know why people make it seem so complicated. So I'm just encouraging your listeners to go ahead and ask those questions, invest some time, and uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised this is not uh, rocket surgery. And so is there anything else that, that, that you think um, our listeners should know about being the, the CTO and the network and these telecommunications things that you wrestle with? I'm a big fan of that old quote that's been attributed to Wayne Gretzky, the, you know, the one about <laughs> skate where the puck is going. I use that often, yes. Right, and that just makes so much sense to me. So you have that, I guess, that ethical responsibility of, you know, I anybody in a leadership role needs to be thinking about where we're going and and knowing that infrastructure improvements are so critical and that, you know, it always takes twice as long to install as you typically think it will. You know, the time to act and have these discussions is right now. You know, you have to be thinking in the future. But the reality is, at least for schools and libraries, is we have the wonderful E-Rate program, which is just, you know, one of the best things the government ever did. So without that, I don't know where schools and libraries would be. Well, actually, that brings up an interesting question, which is, I think, you know, how do you get to the home? You know, as a school district, you are, you shouldn't be responsible for and you do not have the resources to solve the problem of making sure every child is connected in the home. And yet a lot of educational success depends on kids being able to do work at home and thinking at home and, and educating themselves to some extent. Um, you know, how do you wrestle with that issue? You know, that's, that's an interesting question that many people don't like my answer to. Right now, today, uh, we have 12,000 iPads as part of our ongoing technology program. We also have an additional 4,000 iPads that came from, we were one of the 16 school districts in the nation that won the Race to the Top grant a couple of years ago. So 4,000 iPads came from the Race to the Top grant, plus we have like 7,500 Chromebooks, plus a couple thousand laptops, Windows, Macs, stuff like that. So on any, and we also open up our wireless network to public access, you know, so moms and dads and kids who bring their own devices to school can get on the wireless network. So on any given day, we have, you know, approximately 2,700 devices on our wireless network. And, and so it's a pretty big load, right? But I'm going to go back to the iPad comment. One of the reasons we chose the iPad a couple of years ago is because it had the ability to store mm. files locally to take away that digital divide reality that some kids just can't afford, you know, internet access at home. Right. Maybe your listeners know or not, but lots of companies like Comcast offer internet essentials for $10 a month, you know, if you produce... Uh, proof or paperwork that you know you're on free or reduced lunch they'll give you a ten dollar a month internet and for 150 dollars they'll sell you a little uh, laptop so there's ways to to get home internet access but even in my school district we have 32,000 kids only 640 families are taking advantage of that ten dollar a month broadband and so one of my favorite things is I will go out and shadow a student all day 
a couple of times a year. Like I did, I just got done doing seventh graders not too many months ago. So I would go from the opening bell to the closing bell. Yes. Eating lunch with them and all and walk around with them. And during those times I get a chance to visit with other kids. And I, I ask questions like, Hey, you know, what, what do you do for home internet access? Knowing that this is a very poor school, right? And, inevitably, like, do you have home internet access? This one kid, I, I can picture him clearly, he says, no. And I'm like, wow, that's got to be really tough. What do you do for, you know, wireless? He says, oh, I just use my neighbor's wireless. He gave me the password. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, pirating his neighbor's Wi-Fi. That's right. not what we're hoping for. But, you know, the reality is, is that between businesses and neighbors, and here's another huge one, um, smartphones with hotspot extenders, um, kids... I can honestly tell you that after we're in our third year of doing this iPad rollout, I haven't had one, not one, parent complaint to my desk about not having home internet access. Well, that's, I mean, it's hopeful. And I think to some extent, it, it gives me a, a reassurance that people do find local ways. It, you know, it may not be the way that as a policymaker we think is the most efficient, but um, people find a way generally. Yeah, they do. And yeah, and I'm not promoting that and I'm not saying that's great either. I'm just saying that's the reality. Right. And I think that's I'd be curious. I mean, have you shadowed uh kids in the more rural districts where they may not have a neighbor where Wi Fi would range all the way over to them? No, you know, I I haven't, but I'm actually scheduled to do that in early March, so I'll let you know if I if I bump into anything in that yeah. Well, I'm, I'd be curious, but it's also just great that you do that. I mean, that seems to me seems like such a smart way of getting a sense of what's really happening in the schools. Oh, my gosh. It, I don't care what business you're in. You have to go spend a solid day in your customer's shoes. In my case, my customer's students. I think that's great advice. Um, one of the things that my organization has worked on for 40 years is solid waste policy. And one of the first things when we would get a contract, I mean, there's not something that I worked on. I'm being in a different program. But the lore of our institute is one of the first things we would do is um, is one of the people, particularly one of our founders, would ride around in a garbage truck with the, with the people all day to see what the waste stream was like. And that was just unheard of, that someone working on policy would actually Actually, you know, go down to that level to see what was happening, but it's essential. How how powerful is that? Yeah. Well, that's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, you know, it's my pleasure. Truly, thank you. That was Chris talking with Joe McBreen, Chief Technology Officer of the Saint Vrain Valley School District in Longmont, Colorado. We have a number of articles on Longmont, so be sure to check out the tag at muninetworks.org. We want to hear your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at muninetworks.org. Thank you, Arnie Hughesby, for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 186 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>